A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimt waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kauten Schabes hat es getan. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Welcome, Geber. everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously dedicated by the Schoenfeld family, Lezecher Nishmas, their grandfather, Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld, and in fact, the topic that uh, is to be discussed today is Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld. Um, so before I clarify what exactly that means, um, I want to first thank uh, his grandchildren, uh, Rabbi Ari Schoenfeld, the world-renowned night Seder rabbi, and Rabbi Naftali Buchwald, who's a Rav down in down south in Texas, for their assistance with the preparation for this episode and for providing uh, information and stories and background. Um, I want to explain exactly what it means while we're doing this episode. This is not a hespid for someone who I never met, uh, Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld. I never met him, never had the privilege. Um, unfortunately, I so I don't. I'm not going to deliver any uh, any eulogy here. And I'm also not going to be saying a biography. I'm not, you know, who, you know, why should I say a biography? And and, and why is why, why me? Uh, what re- the, really the the idea of this uh, episode came because when with Rabbi Schoenfeld's passing, I knew about him, and I knew that uh, it's rare to have someone who, you know, many of us read history. Um, and many of us experience at one point or another in our lives uh, some you know sort of historical experience. This past year definitely was, um, but very rare do you have a personality who, through their own life experience, literally lived through history, lived through every major episode of history during that time. And Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld is someone who is like a every aspect of his life was a prism and a window to Jewish life of the 20th century and all the upheavals and triumphs um, of Jewish life and its various uh, various manifestations of the 20th century. First, there's another thing. How often do you get to speak about someone with a name like Fabian? It's one of the coolest names that you'll ever hear. You're never going to you know, have a friend named, hey, Fabian, you know, and, and, and most people you speak about is going to be Yankel or Rev Yankel. So here you also have an opportunity to use a name like that. But beyond that, the it's it's you really just borrowing his life story and to see 
how that reflects and projects onto Jewish life and what he witnessed and what he told and what he related. So I'm really just going to use it as a springboard through the stories that he told and through his experiences to be able to give a a, a, a window to a prism to Jewish life of the 20th century, such as, you know, like his growing up in Vienna. So what was Jewish life like in Vienna during the early decades of the 20th century? And then you have the Nazi takeover, the Anschluss, and then running away, the kinder transport to England and living in England during the war. And then his coming over to the United States in the 1950s and his, you know, his his experiences with his whole outlook and, and, and interactions of his being a very, very close student of Rav Soloveitchik and his years in Yeshiva University during the 1950s, a whole new world. Um, and then his experience with the American rabbinate, which of course is a whole thing. And then his relationship with the various different G'dayli Yisrael, um, so that you know also reflects on a lot of stories about that and all the interactions he had, and, and also with uh, politics, politicians in the United States and in Israel. So let's uh, use it, uh, Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld, who just recently passed away at the ripe old age of almost 97, um, a rich and full life, so let's explore it a bit. So he grows up in Vienna. Vienna at the time that he grows up is a very, very fascinating Jewish community. Uh, the Vienna of the 1920s um, in, is not, not enough uh, spoken about, the transformation of Vienna. Vienna until the post-World War I or until World War I was a large a Jewish community. For the most part, it was uh, less traditional, we'll say like that, in varied degrees. There was acculturated Jews, and then there was also assimilated Jews. Um, and then there was also, similar to Neolog in Hungary, like traditional Jews. And then there was a religious Jewish community that was similar to the Yekis in Germany, uh, educated, cultured, worldly, and very religious. Um, also influenced by Hungarian Jewry, uh, to a certain extent, Hungarian Orthodoxy, to a certain extent. And then what happens during World War I is that it's flooded with refugees from Galicia, and including a huge influx, influx of Hasidic Jews, including many, many Rebbes, all the Rebbes of the Rijan dynasty and many other Rebbes uh, as well from Galicia. And they stay there. So literally, there's a transformation overnight of Vienna from being a place with very little connection to Eastern European Jewish life, to one of being one of the largest centers of Hasidus in the entire world, perhaps after Warsaw. Um, you're talking about with his tens and tens of Stieblach. Uh There's tens of Rebbes. There's, there's, by one count, there's 30, 40, 50 Rebbes um, and, uh, living in, in Vienna during the interwar period. And that has a tremendous influence and a change in Vienna Jewish life. Um, that's where he grows up. And his grandfather uh, was a Gerich Hasid from Pinchev, who was in the wine business. And uh, and his parents were engaged during World War One, but they're on two sides of the front. One of them was in the part of Poland that was under the German army's occupation of the Kaiser, Kaiser's army. And the other one was on the other side of Poland, which was still under Russia. So they only were able to get married after World War I, a long five or six year engagement until they were able to get back together because 
his father towards the end of the war, to immediate aftermath of the war, Poland, which had just gained its independence at Versailles, was fighting a war against Russia, against the Bolsheviks in Russia. There was the miracle on the Vistula River, and then the Polish army got all the way to Minsk, and until the border uh, was solidified between Poland and Russia, it took a while, so there was a whole war against the Bolshevik Red Army. And they were drafting everyone. So he, his father, who was a Gera Chassid from Pinchiv, did not want to get drafted. So he ran away and escaped to Vienna. He had cousins there, were uh, descendants of the Chassam Seifer, Schreiber's, and they, and eventually his parents get married in Vienna after a long five-year engagement. They actually got married in the very famous Schiff Schule, which was the shul that was uh, similar to Hungarian Orthodoxy. It was not a Hasidic Shishtibel, but it was a big, prestigious, beautiful shul, so that's where the wedding took place. So the Vienna Jewish community, like I said, it was close to 200,000 Jews, one of the largest Jewish communities in the world, very diverse. You have the old-school Vienna Jews, most of whom were either assimilated or acculturated or not very Orthodox. Then there's the old Orthodox Austrian Jews, and now there's this massive influx of Galician Jews, some of whom are Hasidic, some of whom are also more acculturated, more secular. Um, his father, when he came, his father, when he came from uh, 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 Pinchev to, uh, I'm sorry, when his grandfather, in other words, his father's father came from Pinchev to participate in his son's wedding. Uh, he walked into the Shifshul with, with a strimal, a spudik from Poland, so they told him to take it off. He said, in Vienna, we don't wear this. Uh, people already were wearing it in Vienna, but I guess it took time to get used to. So um, his name, Rabbi Fabian, his actual name was Mordechai Shraga. It's interesting that one time one of his sons brought a, a regards from him to the Pnei Menachem, or Pinchas Menachem, altar of Ger, whom he was very close with. He uh, he he said to him, uh, regards from Mordechai Shraga Sheinfeld, my father, I said, who? So he goes, I mean, Fabi, Fabi Sheinfeld. So Fabian was uh, was his name even by the Ger Rebbe. So um, Rabbi Schoenfeld's mother went back to Poland to give birth to him, to be near her mother. And then after a few months came back from Poland to um, to Vienna. So he was actually born in Poland. and But then later on, when he was a young child, he went to visit his grandfather in Pinchiv. His, fa- his grandfather, Rabbi Shemaya Schoenfeld, the real tough Gerachasid, when he walked in and he looked like a Vienna child, looking all modern dressed with no chsidish and everything. So he said, Are these my Eneklach? These are these are what happened when these my kids went to Vienna? They they don't look like good Pilish Chasidish Yingalach anymore. So his father, grandfather gave him a bracha, he said, You should become a Chasid, and he inscribed that in a set of Chumashim that he gave to him as a gift which he kept for the rest of his life. He was able to bring it with him in all his travels, and he later gave it to one of his own grandchildren, his grandfather's uh, set of chumashim with his inscription. Talking about the generational effect there of the traditions in the family, something fascinating. From Pinchev to Vienna to the United States over uh, one century. Um, his father, Rabshapsi Schoenfeld, worked for the Agudas Yisrael. You have to understand that the world Aguda headquarters were in Vienna during the time, during the interwar period. And he was the general secretary of the Gurus Yisrael, he was the secretary of the Meatzis Kudelei he was on the, the Vad Hapoyel, the executive committee of the Gurus Yisrael, and he stayed very close with Ger. But he acclimated also at the same time to Vienna culture. Unfortunately, all of his father's siblings and their entire families 
since they stayed in Poland, they were all killed, uh, their families of Gerich Hasidim, they were all killed by the Nazis later on. So Rabbi Schoenfeld grows up in Vienna till he's 15. Um, he, his father was the editor of the Agoda newspaper Haderach. Um, there was very little uh, real solid Jewish education in Vienna. There's all kinds of Jewish schools. There was a, there was a Beis Yaakov, there was a yeshiva, and his father was involved in starting a yeshiva there, Yesaydei HaTayra. There was all kinds of Jews in Vienna. So, like I said, uh, you know, the, um, the, uh, uh, until, you know, until the Nazis came and the Vienna Jewish uh, community, you know, fell apart almost instantly, by the way. We'll, we'll get to that hopefully soon. But, uh, once I mentioned it, when the Nazis did come in after the Anschluss, so it, it was a sudden switch. Everyone just, it was very, very brutal and very sudden and, uh, wasn't a gradual switch like it was for the Jews of Germany. And, uh, and it, it fell apart, um, which we'll get to. But before that, in the 1920s and 30s, the second district in Vienna was one of the main Heimische neighborhoods. There was loads of Stieblach, uh, no Gerish Stieblachs. They had a daven in one of the Galicianer, uh, Hasidish Stieblach, because there's mostly, uh, mostly Galicianer Hasidim there. And, um, and, uh, and they, his father had this Yisaydi Hatayra school, but it was a, a yeshiva, that combined, like it was accepted in Vienna, like combined with uh, secular studies and and uh, and 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 they uh, sports. So he uh, soccer was big in Austria. So the Jewish kids played soccer as well, and it was big in the school. In fact, the rabbeim came and played soccer with them. So if you think it's an American phenomenon that the rabbeim have to acclimate themselves, accommodate the the uh, sports of the children. So Rabbi Schoenfeld said the same thing took place in Vienna that the rabbeim played soccer. Um, it was a very tolerant Jewish community, despite the fact that some of the rabbeim had studied in Hungarian yeshivas, but they still uh, they were able to uh, be uh, there with the uh, in, in the Vienna atmosphere. Uh, at the time, he went to Shlomo Karlbach's bar mitzvah. Shlomo Karlbach was, uh, his father had escaped Germany in the 1930s, and, uh, and he was a rabbi in a Vienna suburb. And um, one of the people who attended Shlomo Karl's bar mitzvah was the young Rabbi Schoenfeld. They remained close friends, interestingly enough. Um, his uncle was a, his name was Moshe Schreiber, which is the same name as Chassam Seifer, interestingly enough. And he was a bit of a yaki, and he was also still a bit of a chassid, in a, co- a combination. And he was the president of the famous Shif Shul, which was one of the main shuls, uh, similar to, like I said, Hungarian Orthodoxy, uh, Hungarian-style kehila community. Um, and he was the uh, president of, of that shul. And that's where the Imrayamis, the Ger Rebbe, stayed when he came to Vienna. And that's when he got to meet the Ger Rebbe, the Imrayamis. When, when, when the several times that the Ger Rebbe stopped off in Vienna, either for a good business or on his way to his visits in Eretz Yisrael. Um, so, so he got the privilege of, of meeting the, the Ger Rebbe. In fact, one of the kvitlach that his father gave to the Imrayamis said that, he uh, asked that his son, who, he had, who was accompanying him, Rabbi Schoenfeld, should have hasmada in learning. It should be diligent in his Torah studies. And the Ger Rebbe, the Mayamis, who always spoke very tersely, didn't, didn't speak at length and didn't, uh, didn't uh, elaborate. He said, he said, Un was mit And what about Yeres Shemayim? So there's something also that you have to put in the Kvittel. So um, either way, his father, Rabbi Shapsi Schoenfeld, was a big fan of Rabbi Shamshuner Fall Hirsch's philosophy of Tayrim Derech In fact, he wanted to send the young Rabbi Schoenfeld to the Frankfurt yeshiva of, of Rav Breuer. And, but, but by the time he was old enough, it was already 1937 and it wasn't relevant 
um, you know, the Nazis had already taken over Germany, and the, it wasn't relevant to send him to be studying that yeshiva. One of the most, uh, you know, he met many, of the, again, the first two Knesseas were, and Knesseas of the Agudas Yisrael were in Vienna, but many times there was Aguda meetings where great Torah leaders attended, so he he um, he had the privilege of meeting many of them, Rebbeir Shapiro, and like I said, the Ger Rebbe, and of course the Rebbes who lived in Vienna, the, the Kapishnitz Rebbe, and all the originers. Um, but he also had the privilege one time of meeting the Ragatshaver, Rebbeis of Frozen, the Ragatshaver, the Rav of Dvinsk. They called it, they said, he said they even called him Rabyasha Dvinsker. And he came to Vienna for, for surgery. His health was failing. It was a failed surgery. He passed away, uh, in Vienna, the Ragachover. But when he was there, he asked, um, he asked, there was a meeting, Rabbi Shaya first, the rabbi of the Shifshul, and there was another, um, other rabbanim in Vienna. They came to, to, to greet the Ragachover. The Ragachover said, I want to see the Nature Karta. Now, the Nature Karta that we know of today, um, or in Yerushalayim, and uh, the, the anti-Zionist in Turekarta. That's not who the Rogachover was referring to. He meant uh, what, the, what the Gemara refers to the Turekarta of the young children studying Torah. And he said, who are the young children studying Torah in Vienna? I want to meet them. And, and he was one of the ones chosen. Shon, the young 13-year-old Rabbi Schoenfeld was one of the group of children who was chosen to go meet the Ragachavar. And he met the Ragachavar in his last days. A few days later, uh, the Ragachavar passed away, and he was, at, in fact, chosen to do Shmira on the Ragachavar until the Levaya. And the Levaya took place in Vienna, and then they brought him back to Dvinsk. They were thinking about burying him in Vienna, but they ended up burying him in, uh, in, in Dvinsk. Um, now, um, the... Uh, excuse me. So... And he, he used to actually recall uh, something the Ragachavar said to him, a whole vart, which I'm not going to get into now. Um, the, the, um, sorry. So the, the, that's, that, that's the situation in Vienna when, when the Nazis take over. Um, March 12, 1938, the Anschluss, the unification of the great Greater German Reich between Nazi Germany and Austria. The Nazis march in, and there's a famous, there's pictures, there's video footage, there's famous stories of how the day after the Nazis came in, um, they took the Jewish leaders and they forced them to clean the streets of Vienna with with little brushes on their hands and knees at the, the jeering and cursing of crowds, and this was the the almost instant transformation of the destruction of the Jewish community of Vienna, Rabbi Schoenfels actually witnessed it. He saw the great regional Rebbes, the two Sadiger Rebbes, the Kapishnitzer Rebbe, the, the, all the you know, great uh, Tzadikim living in Vienna who were forced, with long white beards, they were forced by the Nazis. Day after, it was Shabbos morning. It was the day they were going to shul and they saw this. They, he himself saw it as a 15-year-old boy a 14, 15-year-old boy, he said that he had a neighbor who was a non-Jew who he had, was friends with. He, they went, he played soccer with him. And the day after the Anschluss, he wouldn't talk to him. And he called him a dirty Jew. Talking about people, the, the betrayal, people who were their friends. So they ultimately have to escape. His father was able to get to Czechoslovakia on Aguda business. And from there, the London Aguda uh, brought him to London. And, and then he was able to get a job there. The mother got out separately, and then he got out um, on, on something like similar to the Kinder Transport of Germany. Basically, it was the Kinder Transport organized by the legendary uh, rescue activist 
Rabbi Dr. Solomon Schoenfeld, not related at all to Rabbi Schoenfeld of, of our subject, but, um, but he, he, he took a train which went through Luxembourg. He had his tefillin taken away by the SS and was miraculously rescued by the German train conductor who had seen the SS take it away and he went to the garbage where they had thrown it and he decided to take it out and give it back to this young boy who he had seen crying when his tefillin were taken away. So he got his tefillin back and he ends up in France or he stays in France for a year. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, the French police, this is before World War II, this is 1939, there's no Nazis in France yet, and the French police are hunting down Jews who had come in illegally, refugees, and they, he, he had to evade the French police, which brings us to a much greater discussion of the French complicity during World War II and the fact that there was French collaboration together with the Nazis, not only the Vichy French regime, but also regular French police and regular French administration, administrative officials, which is a whole topic and a whole story when we talk about uh, local collaboration during the, during the war. Either way, he spent that year in a school dormitory, and the, also he didn't have a very welcoming uh, experience from the friend, local French Jewish community. They didn't like him. The French Jewish boys didn't like him. They used to pour his Nagelwasser on his bed. He was a refugee and speak the language at first. Eventually he came to speak French also. And he knew many languages, actually. And they leave Vienna. They leave the, they, they, I'm sorry, they leave France. They, um, they get to, uh, England and the British embassy somehow, again, miraculously sent a letter to Paris. Uh, when he applied for the Krinder transport, he had an address in Vienna. And somehow they found him in Paris and he was able to get into England. He's in England for a little over 10 years. He got there two weeks before the war broke out. He attended the Eitz Chaim Yeshiva of Rebel Lapian. Um, and they struggled. They struggled to make en- ends meet. His mother had to clean apartments and take in borders to be able to make ends meet. His father had a, a job with the Aguda that barely paid anything. Um, and later on during the war, they they had a they had their uh, home uh, like a backyard battery factory for to to make lights during the blackouts during the curfews um, and which which he would then go and sell door to door. But he was became a student of Rebel Lapian in the Eitz Chaim Yeshiva in in London, um, and then eventually uh, they were shipped out to Shefford which after the, the school children of London were shipped out of, out of town because of the London Blitz and because of the suspicion that the Nazis were going to, Germans were going to invade London. So all the London Jewish, uh, not Jewish, uh, everyone, all the London school children, excuse me, were evacuated. Um, so he spent time in the English countryside as well. And his father writes for the Aguda paper um, and his mother ran the house. And uh, eventually his father leaves the Aguda. He kind of had a break, an ideological break with the Aguda and, you know, the, and st- stop believing so much in the ideology. But either way, he decides to become a printer. And becoming a printer gave him a new opportunity because he goes on to print the Svarim of Chazayn Yecheskel, of Reb Chatzkel Abramsky. He was at a London Besden at the time. So he became very close with him. So Rabbi Schoenfeld goes on to become the driver of Rebchatzkel Abramsky. So here's another interaction that he had, an intimate interaction that he had with a great uh, Torah leader. Um, and uh, he eventually meets his future wife, uh, Lottie Jacobowitz, from the Jacobowitz family. The, she, her brother was later the chief rabbi, Rabbi Lord Emmanuel Jacobowitz, and they get married. 
And um, the, the Jacobois were old, yucky, rabbinic family. They didn't approve so much of marrying this refugee, Gera Chassid, who didn't look like rabbi material. But eventually they agreed to the, uh, to the Shidduch. And, and Solomon Schoenfeld got him a teaching position afterwards in a school. He taught Chumash, and he taught French, and he was the coach of the soccer team. So Schoenfeld also, and he also gave bar mitzvah lessons, and he, and he taught in an afternoon Hebrew school, and he already was more Zionistically inclined than he wanted to go to Israel. That didn't work out. It wasn't an option economically, so he followed his parents, who had moved to the United States after the war, and, uh, and he moved to America in 1950. So, so that's, uh, so he comes now to the United States. Unfortunately, at the time, his, his mother was killed in a terrible plane crash over Egypt. Um, terrible tragedy. And he's, he's sustained quite a bit of tragedy in his life. His first wife, um, passed away when she was very young, uh, from cancer. And she's 36 years old. Um, and he got remarried to a Nadvarna Enikel, to a lifer, and, and uh, his second wife passed away several years ago. But, um, but um, in 1950, he arrives in the United States, and he had already been sort of a rabbi, without smicha, in London, a small shul, in his last years there, and now he already wanted to enter the rabbinic world. So he goes to Yeshiva University. He went to Rav, Rav Soloveitchik, and there starts his lifelong closeness with Rav Soloveitchik. Um, he, um, his father had pushed him to go. He's, his, he, he had attended university in London. He had gone to University of London. He had majored in linguistics. So he was only going to Yeshiva University to get smicha. And he was in Shir by Rav Soloveitchik for, formally for several years, but for decades afterwards, informally. And he, his first position was teaching in the Yeshiva Zichra in Maisha in the Bronx by Rabbi Rucham Gorelik. And he also got a job in Temple Israel in Great Neck, uh, in, uh, in, as, as, as a youth director. That was his first position. He lived already in Kew Garden Hills, which where he would remain for the rest of his life. Um, but, um, but, uh, he, he, when he was initially, when he planned on attending Yeshiva University, so his father discouraged him from attending Tervedas, where he wanted to go. He said, you want to go, you have to, you want to become a, a Rav, you have to learn by Rav Soloveitchik. He had read Rav Soloveitchik's speeches and his articles. He was very impressed. He encouraged Rabbi Schoenfeld to go to, to be by Rav Soloveitchik. So, in fact, he had a letter of recommendation from Rav Chatzka Labramsky for Yeshiva University. And it was addressed to Rav David Lifshitz, who Rav Chatzka Labramsky knew uh, back in Europe. Um, so he meets, Rabbi Schoenfeld meets with this letter of recommendation. He meets with Remendel Zaks, another great Torah leader who was in his university at the time. And he says, okay, your letter of recommendation is to Rabbi David Lifshitz. So go to Rabbi David Lifshitz this year. So he says, no, I want to go to Rabbi Solveitschik's year. So he goes, okay, try it out. See, go prove yourself. Uh, so he goes in and he said, uh, that's, that's when he started his lifelong uh, relationship with him. So he went to speak to Rabbi Dr. Belkin about tuition. And, and Dr. Belkin told him, we don't, char- we don't charge tuition. He says, what does that mean? You definitely charge tuition. He says, we only charge tuition for college. We don't charge tuition for Limud HaToyra, for learning Torah. He said, you already have a degree from the University of London. You're not coming here for college. So you're only coming here to learn Torah. If you're coming to learn Torah, you don't charge any tuition. And he never pay- had to pay a penny during his years there. Um, so, 
But when he got this uh, position afterwards in in by Gerelik and in, in, in Great Neck, so this is the state of Jewish uh, institutions at the time. He, he his pay at one point was they they were making a fundraiser with the Yiddish theater, uh, Yiddish theater fundraiser. So his paycheck was they gave him two hundred tickets to sell for this fundraiser, and he said, "You sell these tickets to the." To the Yiddish theater fundraiser, and you could keep the money. So, um, so that's that was that was how he got paid. That was that's America in the 1950s. So he got a very close relationship with Rav Soloveitchik. He he said that he related that um, that one time Rav Soloveitchik told him after his wife uh, had passed away, he was feeling very down, and he told him that you know many many years ago the Mizrahi came to me and asked me to become their president because they needed to use my name for fundraising. So he said to them, I'm not an Agudist, and I'm not part of the Mizrahi. I'm not political, I'm a Rosh Yeshiva. But they convinced me that they need to use my name for the fundraising, so I need to become the president, so I did it. Now, my wife has passed away over a year ago, and not one Mizrahi leader has come to pick up the phone to say, Rab Solveitchik, how are you doing? And that very much upset uh, the Rav, Rav Solveitchik. So he said, he said, he said to Rabbi he said, I, I gave up on, to a certain extent, on the relationship with my family in Yerushalayim because I became associated with the Mizrahi. And this is how the Mizrahi treated me. And it very much upset him. What it's interesting is that Rabbi Schoenfeld said uh, that he, when he met Rabbi Ramishua Solveitchik, he said, you know, um, your Rebbe, Rav Salvechik, was not Mizrahi. In Brisk, Sinishtok in Mizrahi. There's no Brisk in Mizrahi. There's no Mizrahi in Brisk. Okay. Anyway, so um, he said that Rav Salvechik was Menachem Avel when Louis Ginsburg, the head of the seminary, the Jewish Theological Seminary, the conservative movement, he passed away. And he said, why? Because when Rav Moises Salvechik, his father, had passed away, Louis Ginsburg came to be Menachem Avel him. So he went as Hakara Satayv. Um, when, when Rabbi Shonfu was trying, was to get smicha in, um, in, uh, in, in, when he was finished his, his, to, to, when he was ready to get smicha, so his smicha test was to be administered by Rabbi Moshe Shatskis, Rabbi Salvechik, and Dr. Belkin. And you had to know two mesechtas and the first portion, Chelek Aleph of Yoiradea. And it was a six hour test with a break in the middle. That's, that's, that, that's the way it went. And the way it was is that Ramesh Shatskis was ruthless on these on these tests because Ramesh Shatskis had no respect that Lumjarov for the uh, he had no respect for the uh, American new generation uh, uh, students in the he said yeah they're the Americans what do, what do they know so they would he would he started to kill him on Ilchas Trefus and Rav Solveitchik showed up late for the test so when he came he said. Uh, when he said, where, is, where are you holding? Let me take over from this point. And he, he rescued him from uh, the wrath of Ramesha Salavechik. Now, he eventually becomes a, uh, following his, his time, his, his time in, uh, in Yeshiva University, um, and getting his smichas, he becomes the rabbi in Young Israel of Acute Garden Hill. So that already is a whole other story. And, uh, I think, uh, we'll have to do it as a, Part two of the story of of um, of Rabbi uh, Schoenfeld, and we'll continue that. Um, take it up from exactly at this point in the 1950s, trying to see 
the, how American rabbinic life was during that time and what his uh, part that he played in it. So this is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, sponsorships, um, lectures, and you can... uh, you could subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.